This is the Bless You Boys podcast. BlessYourBoys.com is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. Each week, join hosts Brandon Day and Ashley McLennan as we bring you the best from around the world of baseball from a Detroit Tigers perspective. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Bless Your Boys podcast. We've got a couple uh, couple interesting things on the docket tonight. The Tigers have made some moves, so we have some things to talk about there, as well as a, a couple of uh, overarching, uh, looming, um, per- perhaps terrifying topics going around the game, unfortunately, at this point. Ashley McLennan, how's it going tonight? Not too bad, man. How are you? Uh, I'm pretty well, for the most part, I think. Neither of us are being taken in by early winter colds, I hope. No, no, I, I felt like I was coming down last week, but um, it's gone away. And now we're into like, oh, it's 40 and raining and it's melting the snow and blustery. So Yeah, it's been weirdly nice here too, so I'm not quite sure what to make of it. We have snow back again, but for a couple of days this past weekend it had all melted. It was very weird. Oh, yeah. We haven't quite melted it all off, but we got like 18 inches um, Oh wow! about two weeks ago almost. And that's that's weird for us. And we never even had any fall. Like, the leaves hadn't even come down when that happened. <laughs> so, Oh, yeah. that's especially weird. Yeah, it's been weird. Like, it, I mean, it was super thick, heavy, wet snow, too. Like, broke a couple of pear trees in my parents' front yard. And there were uh, power lines down. You know, the whole, uh, the whole shebang. Yeah, we had one like that in October where, like, a half... I think we lost, like, almost a third of the trees in the city. It was crazy. It just... It seems like you either get, like, a really nice like Indian summer type stretch in October, or it's just like, nah, winter. Let's just go to winter. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, it, maybe it gets nice in December for no reason anyone can understand for a little while. I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. February, like January, February is just so, oh. Yeah. That I will take whatever nice days or weeks we can get. Yeah, the it's the bitter, like, dry, frigid wind. Like, that. yeah, that's, that's when I'm just like, nope, this is a hellscape. What am I doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you're, and you're right on the edge of the Great Plains over there. Jesus, it's got to be yeah, pretty nasty um, there. I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but I think Winnipeg has had temperatures that have been um, as cold as the surface of Mars. Oh, God. Uh, and, like, I think the only place on Earth that is consistently colder is, like, Outer Mongolia or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I can see that, yep. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not great, and apparently Canada is in for one heck of a frigid winter, according to the news. So, hooray! Uh, I'm so excited. Oh, no. Yeah, that sounds like a good time. We're actually supposed to not have such a bad winter, but who knows? I've never found any of that to be accurate. Like, they're good for about, you know, two or three days out. That's, that's still about where we're at. Yeah, my rule with winter is that it can either be super snowy or super cold, but it should not get to be both. Yeah, yeah. Like I think one or the other is the way the fairness should work as far as seasons go. Yeah, and I prefer like yeah, I'll take like thirty, thirty-five, and snowy all day. That, that's that's fun. That's exactly. that's good winter. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the Tigers have made some moves this week. Um, the the deadline to set their forty-man roster in advance of the Rule Five draft, which comes up, I think, December twelfth. Yeah. Um, was yesterday, and so everyone was tracking on Twitter to see which um, which players' teams would keep. The Tigers, I, I wouldn't say that they went kind of out of expectations, but they did They did kind of basically go ahead and try to protect everyone. Um, I was a bit surprised by how many they protected. Yeah. Like, I had a good, you know, three or four guys that I was pretty sure that they would, would protect, but I didn't expect them to go quite as deep as six. 
Yeah, and they um, they came in with, they had 33 men on the 40-man roster, and they obviously wanted to keep one space to be able to use their first, their number one overall pick in the Rule 5 draft. Uh, so I guess it makes sense in a certain sense that they, they took six people, but yeah, it wasn't really what I expected. Um, let's see, we all had Isaac Prades, uh, da, 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 let's see, <laughs> I'm going to blank on everybody's name now. Isaac Prades, Bo Burrows, and Daz Cameron were kind of the three locks, but they also protected Kyle Funkhauser, they protected Anthony Castro, and I, and the, I guess both of those were kind of a surprise, but Derek Hill was another one who I... I wasn't real sure that they would they would bother protecting him, but uh, but they did. So they they added all six of those guys on there, and I don't know. I think everybody's. I know I have been like trying to wrestle with what it means for the Rule Five Draft that there's going to be 26 man rosters now. Like, because my initial take on that is that well, teams are gonna if they're borderline on a guy that we would probably want, like a position player, that they're probably just going to try to stash him on the, on their roster for the first part of the year. And yeah. see how things go, but um, and I don't know, maybe maybe that happened. It's really hard to look at the people who are available in the Rule Five Draft already. There's there's so much work to do to kind of parse through uh, that big list of players and see if there's anybody that's really even that interesting. But um, but yeah, so it's just hard to say whether or not it's going to be different if the Rule Five Draft is going to have less talent, the same amount of talent. So we'll have to see. But I guess that what the Tigers can do is just um, as they go along, you know, if they sign a first baseman. Well, then you can, you know, you can cut Brandon Dixon maybe, or you know, if you decide to sign a second baseman, you could you could cut Ronnie Rodriguez. Yeah, there's definitely options there, guys that are are you know expendable for lack of a better term, which I hate. It's a hate phrase I hate using about people. Yeah. Um, but there are definitely players that aren't as as essential to the team as some others. Yeah, I, it's I don't know. You, you start talking like um, you know in terms of like cattle or or stocks, you know, like that's those those two things come into play, and it's like yeah, we probably should try to remember that these are yeah, human I beings. Hate, I hate you know referring to guys as like investments or or things like that. Like it, it is, and I think as a sports journalists of a sort, we we tend to get caught up in that language of transactional human people yeah um without kind of remembering that there are real people whose lives kind of get shaken up by the whole thing i think a lot of my perspective shifted a lot actually when i started following casey stogard on instagram because she's very open about how difficult it is for for their family like this is eric stogard's wife if, if anyone's not sure um and they have five kids Oh, yeah. And so it's like this whole process of like packing up and moving your lives. And it's all very contingent. She talks about how strange it was that, you know, they're living in Toronto one day and then the next day he's on a plane heading to Florida and she has to figure out how to move their entire life. And and I thought that was just she was very candid about the whole thing and the difficulties and challenges of being a, a, a spouse to a baseball player. And it really kind of put a lot of perspective on that. Yeah, I mean it pays well, but that but that really is a hard uh, a hard road for for families. I'm sure. I mean, it pays um, well at the major leagues, but then you have to consider yeah. those poor guys in the minors yep. who are like married to their high school sweetheart and maybe have a kid or two, and you know are making eight grand a year <laughs> playing right. baseball, and it's like woof. Right, he's never home. They're bouncing around. She can't yeah. get like a a real they career be, type job because it, you know she's going to be gone. They might be a prospect involved in a trade somewhere down the line and suddenly their whole lives have changed. It's very it's a tough life. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It really is pretty tricky. Yep, that's why uh, those guaranteed long-term contracts are so valuable on top of the money like hey, you finally have like control over your life a little bit, you know. You've got opt-outs. You can do things. So, yeah. Uh, the players should uh, 
forever defend those rights. <laughs> because uh, ra very rapidly they seem to be coming under attack, which we'll, uh, we can get to a little bit later. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, we took a, a few looks, like me and Jay Markle, and I've talked to Chris Brown a little bit from Tiger's uh, SRD. I've talked to Keenan Carter from Tiger's Minor League Report. There's... You know, there's some interesting players like seeing um, like Buddy Reed and Estuary Ruiz are two really like athletic young guys who the San, um, San Diego Padres couldn't protect. Um, so that's just a good example. Those two guys are a good example of the, of why a, a really good deep farm system sometimes just can't protect everybody and and will leak at least a couple of interesting guys. Um, same could be said for for maybe the Rays and uh, and you know some of the other top farm systems around the game. So that's that's where we're going to be looking, and um, we'll have a whole bunch of pieces coming out on on some of those guys who are available shortly. So yeah, so that that's kind of really the only like player kind of personnel moves that have really gone on. The Tigers haven't really been connected really to to any player yet. No, um, there's not been a, like a really like high point like rumor kind of going around on any of these guys so it really could be anyone yeah even even like back channeling i haven't really heard of them like being particularly interested in anyone the uh, mlb trade rumors had those predictions so we wrote up yasiel puig and michael waka but it's pretty much still a crapshoot at this point um there was one big signing today around the league though and that was um yasmani grandal who i think we would both covet heavily um <laughs> Yeah, kind but of. I think was we we both would have considered wildly out of the Tigers league at the present moment. Yeah, but exactly the kind of player, you know, that that has has been sort of hurt by the way teams have approached free agency the past couple of years and the unwillingness yeah. to, you know, to to take a guy who's got a qualifying offer on him. Um Yasmani Grandal had to settle for a one-year deal last year with the Brewers. Um had another great year. It's pretty easily like, you know, the the best catcher available and uh what did he it was 4 years, 73 million dollars. Yeah, it was to, a good deal for him. I was to the White Sox. So he'll be to right the White Sox face. of all places, which very intriguingly now kind of puts James McCann yeah. in an interesting position because he's basically actively become their backup catcher. Um, and I guess there was some discussion as well with their their management where he would kind of switch, I think, back and forth between being a backup catcher and also potentially DHing. Oh, yeah. Which, I mean, given his numbers last year, actually makes a lot of sense if he's able to continue that hot streak. But, of course, now a lot of people are pointing to him as being a potential trade target because if you have Grandal already, do you really need a James McCann in there as well? And I, th I think the answer is probably no. Yeah. And James but, McCann is also like arbitration eligible now so he's yeah. he's probably going to cost them four or five million dollars um, which doesn't really seem like a great expenditure for a backup catcher that had a really hot first half and and pretty much came right back down to earth in the second half as we all expected but yeah i would i would think that they'd be they'd be interested in in finding a partner for him um, yeah, and I would not like it to be the Tigers. No. I'm sure there are listeners out there who are like, bring McCann back. And, you know, who probably also hate it every time I suggest we bring Alex Avila back. But, um, I mean, I think we forget that James McCann was never a particularly great catcher for the Tigers. I mean, he was a bit, you know, honestly, I, like, I think. Light, yeah. He was bad. I'll say he was it. a I, bad catcher. For yeah. The yeah. He did, I mean, he had a, you know, he had a good arm. It's not terrible behind the plate, but, you know. I never liked his game calling. I know a lot of other like super, you know, in-depth folks uh, have never been enamored with the way he calls a game and his, his catching ability. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it would have been okay to keep him last year and, and just go into the season as long as he understood that, you know, he was going to be kind of the backup. Like we all thought, like, you know, you were more than anybody were hammering on the idea that the Tigers needed to get themselves a veteran catcher who could hit a bit. 
uh, preferably a left-hander, but we, we would take whoever we could get. And then you figure you have McCann on the bench, and then they would just feed in um, Jake Rogers as things went along. We weren't even really thinking about Grayson Griner, but the Tigers just kind of, like, they, they released him, and then they didn't even do anything. <laughs> it was just, yeah, we'll just go with Griner and John Hicks and see how things go. That won't hurt yeah. our pitching staff at all. Yeah, so, so yeah, it's definitely um, definitely not the guy that we want, but definitely is the position, I think, that, you and I are both maybe most keyed on uh, because the Tigers obviously need some help. And you had a, uh, a fairly fascinating and acceptable solution to this problem today. Um, you want to go into that one a little bit? Yeah. I mean, we chatted about this a little bit on the last podcast, but I went into it a bit more in depth on the site um, and, and kind of focused on Travis Darno as being an option for the Tigers. Cause of course I, you know, I watched a fair bit of him as he played into the postseason with the Rays and he was a really kind of unexpected I think surprise for for most people last season because he came off missing most of the 2018 season due to Tommy John surgery of all things for a catcher. Yeah, um, but came back and he was with the Mets for a really brief stretch of time at the beginning of this season um, before they DFA'd him and ultimately released him and he got picked up by the Dodgers and played a whopping five days and one game, one single game with the Dodgers. <laughs> And then the Dodgers traded him to the Rays for cash, literally. So, I mean, when you have a cash transaction like that, it's not, they're not putting a lot of stock in that particular player is usually how I read those, those transactions. Cause you're basically saying this guy isn't even worth another player. Yeah. Like maybe throw us some international bonus pool money later or something like that, guys. I don't know. Take him off our hands for now. Right. Buy me dinner and you can have him. (laughs) Exactly. And at the the time it made sense because the the Dodgers really did have quite a glut of catchers. So it was kind of a strange decision for them to pick up Darno at the time anyway. So, I mean, they didn't need him. And the Rays really did because both of their catchers at the time were, were like on the I.L., not in a great shape. Mike Zudino, who had had a pretty decent start to the year, wasn't looking too too great at that point, being injured. And also, we, Mike Zudino is kind of showing his age a little bit. Yeah. Um, and Darno really stepped up. Like he, I'm not saying was like, you know, all star worthy or anything like that, but he hit uh, by I think like 263 or something for the season, which for catcher to me is is real good. Yep. Um, he was top 20 for WRC plus, like yep. he was actually above Alex Avila as far as that goes. Um, not too shoddy for the, for the caught stealing percentages and stuff like that. And he, he really, I think surprised a lot of people watching that team and was also just a really capable catcher. Um, and I think that that's something that the Tigers could genuinely use. And I think for a guy that was released twice in a single season, he could be had fairly cheaply. Yeah, I think there's maybe, you know, some, some more interest in him just because of the way he finished that there's, there, you know, there's, everybody's looking for yeah. that guy who, you know, kind of kind of showed a little something late in the season and maybe there's something more there next year. Like that's kind of become, I mean, it's always like something teams look for, but um, it, it seems like guys are getting paid a little bit more off that kind of potential now um, rather than, you know, what you've done like two, three years in the past. So yeah. It's very much what have you done for me lately. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. I think Um, there will be some some interest, but I mean, he hit 16 home runs in 103 games, um, which, you know, if he was a full-time player, that's like almost a, 
Well, that's not a 30 home run pace, but like 20. Well, I mean, all of those were in like 90, 94, 96 games with the Rays, too. Like, that's yeah. he hit none with the Dodgers and Mets to start the season and then ended the season with 16. Um, so not bad at all, like it, all things considered. And that was the most he'd hit since his best career season in like 2015. So, I mean, it definitely shows a bit of a resurgence and. I don't know, maybe part of that is like the the bump in in enthusiasm for having a team actually pick you up and like put you in the starting catcher role and like putting that faith in you. I think kind of like going back to the idea that we have to remember that these guys are people is that not being dumped twice, but <laughs> rather being embraced and kind of being like having the team put some weight on you, I, I think does tend to make guys thrive. I mean, we saw it happen with Nicholas Castellanos going to the Cubs where suddenly you're in that position where you're on a team that's winning and you're on a team that really wants you there and you're getting a lot of enthusiasm from the crowds and from the fans. And I think there's no doubt that that actually applies and helps guys play better. Yeah, um, I would agree. Although I guess, unfortunately, that's something that we cannot offer. <laughs> that is, uh, yeah, that there'll is be some be enthusiasm. Yeah, there'll be enthusiasm, but uh, but it's it's definitely not anybody's uh, you know high, high point on their list of where they would want to go. So, I mean, you would think you'd kind of have to We'd probably have to overpay compared to some other teams. Like he did overpay, great and I think extend a multi-year contract. Like I think I'd suggested maybe like even two years at three million a year, but I think you might even have to push it to like four, maybe give him two, two years, eight mil, and I think potential there. Yeah, I yeah definitely, definitely a two-year deal. I'm kind of looking through um, fan graphs like crowdsourcing to see what they suggested because I. I mean, I look at a guy like Darno, and I think had he not had the end of the season that he'd had in 2019, he'd maybe be looking at a minor league offer at another team. Yeah, or like you a one-year, I mean? $1 like, million dollar. Like a yeah. one-year deal on the cheap. Like the Mets were willing to eat, I think, about $2.6 or $2.3 million of his contract just to get rid of him. And uh, I think that, you know, you look at that and you say that, okay, yeah, you had a great final hundred games of the season. That's absolutely stellar. I think it does show signs that, you know, you're going places, but I think both him and his agent have got to be kind of realistic about, about the money there. And uh, sure, if a team is willing to overpay him, he should jump at it a hundred percent. But I think, you know, I, I sure wouldn't go more than two ten two years, 10 mil. I think for a guy like Darno, I think that's. Yeah. I could, I that seems to be like what I what he would get. Like I, I don't know. I it still feels like we might have to pay more than that. I don't know. Fangrass crowdsourcing is guessing two years at five million a piece, um, as you said, so ten million total. And Kylie McDaniel says two years at fourteen million. Wow. So yeah. I mean it would probably have to be something like that to lure him to de to Detroit. But I think it might well be worth it because the other thing about him, like, you know, on the one hand there is betting on like getting a guy to a place where he's wanted and is going to be able to, you know, to, to kind of like settle in, you know, in a, in a full-time or at least a semi full-time for a catcher role. Um, but, you know, he, I mean, you could maybe play him a little bit at first base and see how that goes because you've got a bat there. And the, the other thing I like about him, and we've talked about this a lot too, is trying to find those guys who, you know, have had a lot of injury trouble and maybe there's a window of, of health coming up, yeah. you know, it's been two years since the Tommy John, um, you know, it's kind of notable that all of a sudden, you know, w once he got, you know, a year past all that started picking up the pace. So there might be, um, you know, more in the tank going forward based on that. In that year, year and a half mark of where you're fully recovered from something like Tommy John and suddenly, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I could honestly see the Rays bringing him back. Like, 
Um, they're not in a position right now really where their their most you know anticipated up and coming catcher is really going to be up to taking the task on. Um, and he did well for them last year, so they may just make him an offer. And you know who knows, but yeah. I do think he's exactly the kind of catcher that the Tigers should be focused on picking up. Yeah, I think he would be absolutely perfect here. Um, I mean, there, there, the other thing too, I guess, is that we just don't know. You know, there are some teams that look to be contenders who, you know, might just suddenly like reevaluate themselves and be like, you know what, you know, this might be a, a cheap way to, you know, to upgrade at catcher and keep our, you know, whatever, our young prospect catcher or, you know, the guy who just started out, you know, kind of on the shelf a little bit and not have him out there catching like 120 games a year absolutely, um, and breaking down. He'd be, he'd be kind of perfect for that. Yeah. That, that kind of breaking in someone else role. And that's, you know, and that's kind of what he'd be doing here. Like I would love to see the Tigers like have him catch like 60 games and try to play him like 20 or 30 games at first base, maybe depending on what they do there. Um, to kind of take advantage of that bat and take some of the pressure off those uh, those banged up knees. Um, Eno Saris, who writes for The Athletic now, had a really great piece uh, a couple weeks ago on kind of like the theories of like load management, or, like, like workload management on athletes um, in the NBA and how that's kind of starting to work its way into, um, into Major League Baseball. Um, we've seen teams like install like sleep cupboards where their players can you know take a nap you know after Ugh, like warm up I'd like one of those at my work i know that sounds fantastic just just you know wheel me under my desk for a little bit in a in a quiet dark place and i'd be i'd be perfectly happy but uh, but you know that's the kind of thing that maybe you could take advantage with a guy like him just by you know not asking him to catch you know back-to-back days really ever you might be able to keep him you know fresher still keep his bat in the lineup you know in some other ways with a little dh or first base time and yeah, give yourself like a veteran who can actually like impact the club positively rather than mm-hmm. just, you know, I mean, we did talk about, you know, like Matt Weeders, like some of the, some of the other guys that are out there who are, who the Tigers will have a look at just aren't really going to have that much of an impact. Like we, we still need someone. So I'm, I'm not opposed to really any catcher <laughs> being added at this point based on what we saw last year. But, um, but yeah, it'd be really nice to see the Tigers go out and commit to a, a guy like this who, especially when you consider that the Tigers are going to be calling up a lot of their young, you know, pitching prospects this year, Bo Burrows, Casey Mize, Matt Manning, Turek Skubal, all those guys are, you know, likely at least to make their debut this year. You'd kind of like to have a veteran there working with both your catchers and, and all these young pitchers who are coming up. So whether it's not, you know, if it's Travis Darno or if it isn't, um, that's definitely something the Tigers need to do. But yeah, I mean, he just feels like, you know, like the perfect guy for them if they can if they can get him and other teams are a little bit still leery of the injury history yep. or something. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I think he, he, I mean, I think one of the points I made too was that um, he did work with a bunch of young pitching, like, guys, 
young pitching guys. Oh, <laughs> that's some official baseball phrasing. He did work with a bunch of the young guys with the Rays, like guys like Ryan Yarbrough, like Tyler Glass now when he came back from injury. Um, you know, guys that needed that kind of steadying hand. And I think he, he did a serviceable job of it. Um, and I think it makes him kind of the ideal candidate to work with guys like Mize and Manning and, and the rest. Because I, I think he's young enough to kind of know where they need to like guide themselves into the clubhouse, but he's been around the block. And I think that it's kind of like, he's only 30 years old, yeah. um, which is insane that we consider 30 year olds veterans, but <laughs> yeah, like, but for a catcher, it, especially <laughs> yeah, for a catcher, those. especially. Yeah. Like, I mean, even Alex Avila, I don't know. I can't remember off the top of my head. It's only like, you know, 32, 30, 33 tops. Like yeah. he could, he could even be younger than that. 32. 32, be 32 33, years 30, old. 33 in January. Yep. Yes, that's right. So he'll be 33 going into the season. So, I mean, he's, you know, Darno's got a couple years younger. Um, you know, he's been, he's been hurt, but, you know, I don't know. I think and he has a history of getting hurt too. Like, yeah. as, as all catchers do. Like, I, I don't think we can hold injuries against catchers for the most part because it's, it's absolutely unavoidable um, at that position. But yeah, I, I don't know. Well, and that's, almost, and that's almost why it's perfect for us, because other teams will be more worried about that risk. Whereas yeah. when we take a guy with that risk and he goes down with injury, then it's like, OK, well, that, you know, that makes our decision for us. You know, it takes pressure off the, you know, the sweet little heads of the Tigers front office personnel. Um, this all, that kind of thing just makes their decisions for them. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. oh, OK, I guess um, I guess it's time to call up Jake Rogers again. Travis Darno's hurt or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, but that that's the other thing too. Is it does it? It gives either Griner or or Rogers a bit of time in the minors too, which I think at this point is actually not a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, long term, like that having that extra position player on the roster, like to me, like a nice way to use that if you don't have one of the you know the seven or eight like really really good starting catchers is just to get three mediocre catchers and hope that you know by <laughs> playing them you know less by and committee. them staying yeah them staying <laughs> healthier that you get a little bit more uh, offensive production out of them perhaps you know it's, it's one way to look at it anyway i'm going to be interested to see how people use that roster spot that's, that's something i've been thinking about writing about as we get closer to the uh, the season because yeah I don't, it, I don't know it's just going to be interesting to see what what that means to teams or like how, what kind of player um, that leads them to keep, you know, do they all want like a Jared Dyson type dude who's going to steal a ton of bases and be a defensive replacement? Is that what they want? Or do they want like a big honking bench bat who they can't play anywhere on the field? Like, yeah. Or do you want three catchers? Like to me, I'll take that third catcher um, until we get a, an absolute good one. Hey, Joey Bart. Sorry exactly. about that, brother. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, as far as like the, I think the positions like that, that's, that's the key one. Like get somebody good there. And then just find a bat or two that you can just mix into the lineup some somewhere. Like we need some, they need some damn bats because without Nick, we've talked about this already plenty of times. But without Nick in there, like there isn't a major league hitter, um, unfortunately, on this this roster as currently constructed, and it, it just scares the living hell out of me that the offense could actually be worse than they were this year, which you wouldn't think is possible, but I bet it is. <laughs> yep. So find yourself somebody, Tigers. Help us out here. Um, to, to sort of kind of circle back to the, the rule five thing, I'll just point out like the couple guys that the Tigers didn't protect. Uh, I don't really think that we're in too much danger of any of these, these guys getting taken, but, um, there is Vladimir Pinto, who's a hard throwing reliever, um, that, you know, some teams might be interested in. He's still too wild. I think for a team to stash on their 25 man roster all year, I don't really expect him to go, but there is like Jose Azokar, 
Um, pretty good center fielder, nice defender, a little bit of power, um, still not not really the kind of hitter. He and, and Derek Hill are in some ways semi-interchangeable, um, like really good you know, defenders who can run the bases. Derek Hill's kind of better in all those regards by a little bit. But um, but neither one of them has, has quite figured out how to hit in the upper minors yet, so I don't think they'll be going. And then there's Jacob Robson, who is um, kind of a quintessential fourth outfielder, like Andy Dirks type guy, like the Maple Hammer is his nickname. He's a Canadian man, <laughs> and uh, we really have to stop giving hitter. Canadian players maple nicknames. I know, I know, it's so derivative, like as though that were all that you guys had. We're, we're so much more than that. Like, make metric system jokes for all I care, but, like, Maple? Come on, guys. Come I know. On. I know. Maple's like, you know, every, like, Japanese player being, like, you know, expected to wrap, like, some kind of, you know, samurai bandana around his head and parade around. <laughs> it's like, this is a terrible. Except that Maple, you know, Maple is, is more fun. We're not more fun, but at least, like, more accurate, perhaps, let's say. Because everybody likes Maple syrup. Well, most people. Sensible people. Yeah, you would think. But yeah, it, it is a little bit of a, a goofy like thing to be stuck to everybody. Whether or not it's, uh, oh, what's his face? James uh, Paxton or, yeah, whoever. Just to tie yeah, in James Paxton big, again. Big Maple? We, yeah, Big yeah. Maple can keep his nickname. He does have a giant Maple Leaf tattoo, so I suppose, you know, I'm glad, we can make glad some we allowances. Can, just glad we could bring him up and circle back to the fact that we mentioned him in, in regard to the eagle landing on him last last. <laughs> Last time we did a show. <laughs> we did, when we went into a giant tangent about Birds of Prey. Oh, yeah, blessed. it was a Python page <laughs> promotional hour. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so the Tigers haven't really, you know, they didn't really expose anybody that I think we're going to miss. Um, they kept a bunch of guys who probably weren't going to get taken, but they can always shed those guys as they go along um, and decide to add people. So I don't, I don't there just isn't a whole ton of uh, meat on the bone there as, as far as things to complain about or be worried about. It's much more like trying to sift through like this, huge list of, of players that are now available who are all deeply flawed or they would not be available and figure out which one to take. So we yeah, shall just see. like eeny, meeny, miny, moe it at this point. I think what they're running, I mean, okay, so the running joke on Bless You Boys right now on the site, if you've watched or read any of our articles, is that player blank will, the Tigers should sign player blank because he would make the team better. And at this point, I feel like adding anybody anybody to the roster will do that to the team so really just like make moves tigers we're not going to be mad yeah yeah and and, this has come around come around just because so many people like well why should we get that guy why should we even bother like everybody's so down in the mouth it's like uh fine we'll just we'll just you know write a million of these articles and title them all the exact same to irritate you all (laughs) because they'll make the team better stupid that's why because we would like the one or two one or two more wins that having that player on the team might bring around, you know, how dare we? Yep. But the Tigers have other plans to get better. And um, actually, I don't know if anything is going to happen this off season that, that makes me as, as relatively happy as, as these things did, but the Tigers um, hired a whole bunch of new player development personnel. Um, and this, this, this news has all been out for maybe, Oh, I don't know, two weeks or so. But it was a fairly kind of radical reorganization of um, of their their player development staff. Like they they hired Josh Paul, um, who was a bench coach for the Angels um, the last couple seasons, both under um, Brad Osmus and under Mike Sosha, I believe. Uh, he's a former catcher, and the Tigers hired him to be the new quality control coach, which was the the job that Joe Vabra had. Um, 
the last two years, Joe Bavra is now the team's lead hitting instructor with Lloyd McClendon moving to bench coach. Uh, I don't know very much about Josh Paul, so I can't really say much there. I mean, really, more than anything, I'm just happy that the Tigers, like, went and got some some new people. <laughs> like, get some... some Did something fl- a little different, yeah. yes. Get some fresh people in there who, who might bring a, a, you know, a different perspective and a fresh eye to all your all your prospects who aren't really developing, especially on the, the hitting side. Um, the Tigers hired Kenny Graham, who was the Milwaukee Brewers minor league hitting coordinator. Um, and he is now the Tigers' new director of player development, which I think is, you know, pretty promising. Um, Dave Owen, who's had that job forever, is now the minor league field coordinator. So he's been kind of kind of moved aside for that. And, you know, I, I don't know how much of a difference, you know, having Kenny Graham in there as the new director of player development is going to be. Um, a lot of this all still comes down to the Tigers have a bunch of smart people in the organization. We know that the analytics department has a whole bunch of sharp folks. It's just, you know, they're not the decision makers. And it all kind of always comes back to who are the couple guys in the room when the decisions get made. Yeah. You know, and it's that decision making group is where, you know, the, some of the change is going to come as far as like how they, how they get information from their staff and interpret it and take, you know, take input from all the, the other parts of the organization. So we shall see um, what they do there. Yeah. Hiring smart people only goes so far if you're not willing to listen to the smart things they tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you just decide to hide from them because they make you feel bad about yourself because they, <laughs> they use terms that you don't understand and that sort of thing. You got to lean in when that happens. No, that's what's a lesson, Woba? That's a lesson I'm scared. That, that a 45-year-old man like myself can, can tell to everyone that eventually you're going to start getting obsolete, folks, and you better start asking questions. <laughs> Talk to those young people. Be nice to them. <laughs> Otherwise, they're going to leave you out in the cold and be okay boomer in you. Into yeah, oblivion. I was about to. I'm like, okay, boomer. You complain all you want. Yeah. I am firmly a very youthful Gen Xer. Thank you very much. Very youthful. <laughs> I am an elder millennial. Yep, yep. Kind of, kind of in that same, yeah, roughly same grouping. Let's see. Uh, Dan Hubbs, okay, the former head coach at um, the University of Southern California, is the new director of pitching development and strategies. Um, so, I mean, they've brought in a whole bunch of interesting people. They've got a couple of guys with driveline experience coming in, um, and that's kind of you know, more or less being regarded as the cutting edge, like the Astro, everybody, the Astros, the Rays, all, all these top teams um, have at least had some tangential um, interaction with driveline, if not directly hired some of their staff. Um, so that's, those are, are nice to see. Uh, and then the one I think we've all kind of wanted for bloody forever is that the Tigers hired um, Dr. Georgia Giblin, who is the Tigers new director of performance science. And she comes from the university of Michigan um, she was involved the last couple years with a lot of like the performance testing and like, um, yeah, and ju- and just like the analysis of of players and their their you know their different different physical traits and how to um, accentuate those things with training in the off season, bringing a much more like a, an actual scientific approach rather than just sort of the old you know athletic trainer approach where you know we're gonna yeah. stretch everybody out and you know you guys go get after it or whatever. So. So yeah, um, that, that is great. Like I, I think you know one of the the underlying stories uh, that has that you know kind of made a lot of people real uncomfortable with what you know where the Tigers um, as an organization were on some of these fronts was you know the story of Justin Verlander getting injured in 2014 and then having to seek you know like an outside physical therapist like you know a, a super genius one to like figure out you know all the issues with his body and give him you know the exercises to start um, you know 
strengthening everything and built rebuilding his, his flexibility, all that kind of stuff. The Tigers didn't really seem to have answers for. Um, and ever since that point, we've been jokingly referring to sending so anyone who's injured to Dr. Gao. Um, Dr. Annie Gao, I believe, is the one that um, Justin Verlander talked to. But now we have yeah. now I'm going to be telling everyone to send them to Dr. Giblin and that Dr. Giblin's going to, you know, going to get these guys in great shape and whatever. So I'm happy about that. I'm I'm real happy to see the Tigers kind of investing in, in a little bit more of a scientific approach and bringing in um, some different looks as far as coaches go as well. So that's pretty cool. Um, obviously, they could all be terrible and we'll have no idea for, for several years, but um, you can't keep doing the same thing when it, when it isn't working. And we've been screaming for this for a couple of years. And as Papa L often does, two or three years late, he finally came through and gave <laughs> us what, he, what we wanted. <laughs> so... Yeah, let's just, like, you know, hope for the best. I feel like at some point, at some point, we have to, like, maybe hope that something has been done right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some things have been done right. I mean, obviously, you know, they haven't drafted that badly. We just haven't, you know, seen them. It's just weird that we don't have, you know, you look at, like, all the guys on the Tigers roster right now, like the Nico Goodrums and Victor Ritt, all those guys. Like, those are players that other people have, like, just stockpiled in their farm system. You know, other you know other teams might have less, like, top-tier prospects than we do because we've got, you know, the, the, the three big pitching prospects. We've got Riley Green. We've got Isaac Paredes. You know, the Tigers are pretty comfortably a top-ten farm system at this point, I would say. But um, but you look at the, the depth, and we have a lot more guys who get graded at, like, a 40 than 45. And other teams have those guys in spades. And so that's that's kind of the the disconnect there where if it isn't obvious, the Tigers don't tend to hit on it. Um, Scooble being an exception. So hopefully these guys can find, you know, more guys that sort of, you know, they, they can actually help and can have a role on the team rather than just being the ubiquitous, like solid college player who just never does anything um, in the upper, upper levels of the minor leagues. So yeah, here we go. Hopefully, uh, hopefully some of this has, has some impact because the Tigers do have some, semi-talented hitters and you would like to see you know beyond Riley Green and Isaac Paredes you'd like to see them you know turn a couple of these guys into something um, Derek Hill being a good example of someone who if he could just hit a little more would at very least be a, a genius defensive center fielder for you perhaps or you yeah. know Cody Clemens like if Cody Clemens could just improve his hit tool a little bit he's got enough power there to be some kind of an impact um, player for you you know obviously not like a star caliber player or maybe even a if- starter but helpful if Cody Clemens could be as good a player as the aura of attitude that he has, <laughs> we yeah. would all be so blessed. Like, mm-hmm. I love Cody Clemens, and I want him to do so well in his career, but he's, you know... Yeah, just be I just, careful. He gives, me, he gives me Ian Kinsler vibes, yeah. and I, oh, I want him to be... I want him to be good. Yeah, just keep those Ian Kinsler vibes and don't go all the way into to dad vibes, because it, it gets kind of sketchy. Real sketchy in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, those are kind of the big moves. Um, I don't know. We're, we're going to have to see if anybody uh, starts starts the free agent market, you know, off with a bang this year. Yasmani Grandal kind of, like, signals that maybe... That's a pretty big move early. Like, yeah. It's... The way things have gone the last few years, that's, that's pretty early for a big one. Yeah. It's really hard to predict. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, I think we've gotten kind of so expectant of the way things have worked in the last two free agent seasons where we're like okay cool so we'll be waiting until about (laughs) february 12th for moves you know waiting into the first week of the you know spring training season but 
I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested to see what's going to happen. Yeah. I, I feel like right now getting a, a decent signing early is a good sign. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, and teams seem to be kind of taken off guard, you know, by the by the way things played out the last two years. Um, you know, the Tigers kind of went in on like Jordy Mercer and Tyson Ross way too early, probably last year, and overpaid on them um, because you know you just didn't know that it was going to be like that. Where you know if you just waited until January, you could probably offer that same money to a better player, and they might just be like, "Yeah, the hell with this. I don't want you know my family to have to pack up and and move on February fifteenth yeah. when I have to report like the next day when I get the call." So. Yeah, I mean, those kind of pressures start coming to bear, but maybe this will be the year where it switches back and all these teams who've kind of seen it play out that way will will try to strike, you know, while the iron's hot instead and, like, hope that players are, are worrying about that and um, looking to sign a little bit earlier. So, yeah, but eh, it's just, just hard to say. Kind of kind of a crapshoot as far as that goes. I could I could easily see the Tigers making us very happy by going and signing someone for for what turns out to be far too much money. <laughs> so, but, <laughs> like, but hey, right. they're not they're not spending much like, anyway. Why didn't they wait and sign somebody on a some minor league deal? Yeah, we could have got two right. players. Uh, could have Jose Iglesias again for fourteen dollars. Yeah, instead we had to pull the trigger too soon because yeah, Al can't hold his mustard or whatever whatever metaphor I'm searching for there that I can't. Remember. You can't hold his You can't hold his I like I feel like you just made up made up a phrase and I'm into it. I'm here for it. Yeah, yeah. I think I was thinking of the uh, no Alabila can't hold I think up the mustard is where you started that. Yeah. And like I don't know where we combined it, but I like it. In my head what I was thinking of is um, you know, he can't take his draught, which is um what the Uryx are screaming at Mary and Pippin as they drag them across Rohan feeding him that weird plum liqueur. (laughs) <laughs> oh, nerd alert! <laughs> I say, as somebody with a Harry Potter tattoo. Uh, exactly. I'll, I'll go deep on some Lord of the Rings. I'll go deep on some Harry Potter too. It's fine. It's fine. We're we're all nerds here. It's fine. Um, yeah, nerds, but strangely enough, obsessed with this insane and insidious game. But here's the thing. Okay, so I have a theory about this because we are nerds. Um, what sport can you be quite as nerdy about as baseball? Like, there are seriously numbers for everything, and we can pick absolutely everything apart to death, and, like, every aspect of it just invites obsession and nerdery. Yep. Um, I think it's, like, it's definitely meant to be a sport for people who like to geek out about things. Yep. And, then, and it's no different for, yeah, whether or not, you know, you're an athletic person or not. Like, it all it all kind of just goes that way. <laughs> I mean, Sean Doolittle is one of the biggest nerds in the game. And we love that man. <laughs> oh, bless him. Yep. Walking around with his lightsaber the whole time. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Adorable. Yeah. Got the World Although Series trophy in one hand and the lightsaber in the other. Chugging a I have a Sean Doolittle story that I have to it. share. All right. Um. Aaron Dolan was on on Twitter uh, this past week because I guess um, Sean got retweeted by Bernie Sanders. And I'm not going to turn this into a political discussion at all. Don't <laughs> worry. Um, but she's like, oh, great. Well, now he's going to be insufferable. And I'm like, <laughs> and I said, well, you know, what? the easiest Christmas gift that you could possibly get him is a shirt that just says Sean is right as a quote by Bernie Sanders. Um <laughs> And she's like, she, she, this is my favorite thing I've ever learned about Sean Doolittle, is that he makes ramen in a, in a pan. Not in a pot. Oh. In a pan. Because he thinks the water boils faster. 
It's the cutest thing I've ever heard in my life. Huh. Yeah, so he will make ramen in a you pan know, as opposed to a pot because the water boils faster. That honestly I mean, makes sense, though. I have to admit, can, there's more surface area. This. More surface yeah. area in the pan to absorb the heat and evaporate. Oh, man. Yeah, so that's where we're at. This is the fun fact we've now learned via Sean Doolittle's wife about how he cooks ramen. Can I, can can I, I just... Just tell Sean Doolittle, like, dude, you're a major league player. You don't have to make your own ramen, bro. <laughs> I mean, what's wrong with homemade ramen, though? There's nothing I, wrong with it. But why doesn't he like? Oh why, man, now I remember I had ramen. Hire, like, he needs to hire someone to come over and make like huge batches of miso soup and just go big. Ooh, ooh, wow. that does sound pretty good. Don't don't eat these packages of ramen. You can't do that. You're a pro athlete. It's all salty. It's that's terrible. It's no good. Oh, how dare you be smirch ramen? Package ramen is like just a damn delight well i know it is but i'm not a, you know i'm not an athlete <laughs> i don't know i also don't have athlete money so. yeah exactly well and sean doolittle is doing far better in life than me so I, I won't i won't criticize too much landed an amazing woman and uh now has a world series tri- title it's all yeah, going and he gets to go to all the independent bookstores he wants to he's living the dream yeah it is it's all going sean doolittle's way i guess the other sport and that yeah, see it's not nerdery though like golf is is dorkery sort of more <laughs> and i can say that oh, no. <laughs> and i can say that as someone who has been around the golf community but has always like like viewed myself as sort of like the indie rock punk side of the golf community <laughs> Wow. If there is such a thing, because we just play wild, baby. Like, we used to just go out in the woods with a <laughs> ball, and, you know, we didn't need, like, manicured stuff and these collared shirts that are branded with crap everywhere. We were just out there in the wilderness chasing sheep. Play wild is not a sentence that has ever or should ever be uttered about the game of golf. <laughs> hey, it started out that way, though. It was a bunch of shepherds, like, wandering around the, the dune country of Scotland, and you're bored out of your mind tending these sheep, and you find a stick and you see a rock and that's it my scottish ancestors are appalled by this discussion no your scottish, <laughs> scottish ancestors are giving me the shout out right now and like yeah you tell it um, tell them no. how the game started before all these people took it over and made it all corporate and if uh, i know cheryl ring doesn't listen to this podcast but cheryl for all your your attacks on the golf community i am going to show up at your place next year wearing a plaid outfit and i'm going to take you and ashley to play golf and um, you're going to hate me forever probably (laughs) (laughs) i was laughing about all that she and and lynn henning were getting into it about golf and i was kind of like just sitting back like i don't even want to get into it but yeah that's what i wanted to say i was like i'm coming over there i'm taking you guys to play golf i'm gonna show you golf is great the ball goes farther than in any other game it's incredibly satisfying just at its most (laughs) simple level Anyway, Amazing. we've wandered into, Amazing. wandered into our usual tangential cul-de-sac here. Look, nobody listens to this podcast because we get to the point. No, that is true. <laughs> if they, if true. They've been, unless you're new here, then I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but we are, are really big on tangents. Yeah, this is how and we do. Uh, you'll learn fun new things that have nothing to do with baseball every time. Yeah, I mean, you can't write without making all kinds of connections like it's just the way it goes it's like it's a it, its own neurological network growing um speaking of connections no oh this my god this is going to be quite a segue no it's not <laughs> I, basically i just want to talk about how you know the astros are up to no good and are like you know um the patriots of of baseball the the most hated team in the game the enemy of all that is good and decent and holy in the world. And somehow they've managed cheating it. cheaters is what yeah. they are. And they've managed this somehow with, with Jose Altuve and a whole bunch of 
seemingly cool dudes on the team, but um, I don't know. Do you? We're gonna have to talk about this a little bit because I am having you know getting like huge amounts of variance and feedback as to what people expect to happen here. But um, if it seems pretty obvious at this point that the Astros were cheating in 2017 at least um, at home and in Minute Maid Park had cameras set up and zoomed in on the opposing team's catcher and they were sending that feed to a laptop, which um, John Boy Media, shout out to John Boy Media, uh, found, I believe, a video of Carlos Correa walking up the tunnel after a game that that actually showed the tr- the alleged trash can and laptop the trash combo. can with a, I think an aluminum bat next to it, and they had a big monitor set up, and then towels hiding the the view. Yep. So it was. Um, yep, it was all screened I mean, back there. It's not great. No. It doesn't look particularly great for the Astros. Especially when you've got guys like Mike Fires going, yep, they sure did cheat. They cheated while I was there. Yep. Um, and the best that most people can do is be like, well, we're not the only ones. Um, yeah. Is not the best. And especially, I think the problem for me, um, God, I mean, there's no easy like way to talk about it. The biggest problem I have is that like when we talked about the other Astros scandals that came up this year, you know, stuff like Justin Verlander v. Anthony Fennec and stuff like the Astros management, you know, screaming things at female reporters and the absolute abominable way they handled that in the media. Yeah. Um, It was a lot easier easier for us to be like, no, you know what? We can still like most of these players. We can still like the team without liking the things that management is doing. Yeah. But here it becomes a lot harder for me because how how can you not say the players are culpable in it when they're hearing these bashing sounds on the trash cans and yep. they're obviously using that information and in how they approach things. And then you look at the way that they've... So, like, even for me watching the Astros against the, the Rays this postseason, against the Yankees this postseason... It seemed at the time, even then, like, man, how many of these pitchers are tipping their pitches because these guys are really figuring things out fast. Yeah. Like, they're really getting these pitchers way faster than I would think most teams would. So, and part of me now is like, oh, cool. Should they have been winning any of these series because they're big cheating cheaters? Yeah, I mean, I think it's easier to feel okay about 2019 because this wasn't going on. Um, but but this is where the whole thing kind of starts to look even creepier, like as far as the league goes. Because I remember, um, I believe Jeff Passan um, from ESPN announced this last off season that the league was going to start putting every monitor that was in a clubhouse or anywhere near a team area on an eight second delay. And um, I think we all kind of thought, like, yeah, that that makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea, but it didn't sort of go to the point of like, oh, the, um, the league must already until, until the whole Astros thing came out. And then I was reminded. And my first thought was, oh, that was all because they had found out that the Astros were cheating way back then. Um, they, they knew that the Astros had been using cameras this way. And to be clear, it's the fact that they're using cameras and technology. That is the problem. Stealing signs is perfectly, perfectly legit. But as the Boston Red Sox, when it's done with Apple the human watches, eye. From second base. Yeah, yeah. Like, or anywhere, when, really. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it has to be from the eye. There can't be any any signaling that involves electronics. We saw the Boston Red Sox get punished a couple of years back for using Apple Watches, supposedly, to somehow 
communicate this way. Um, and, and that's what makes it, you know, that's what makes it a crime, a crime, let's say, because, you know, I'm, I'm very much the type of person to think relativistically, to think in terms of context, um, intersectionally, but in these certain instances, there's rules and there's laws and that, that stuff mm-hmm. doesn't change. You can all say like, oh, well, everybody else did it, but it's still against the rules and you have to be punished. So, so there's no way out for the Astros here. And yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if there's going to be like a one year suspension for Jeff Lunau, the GM and, and AJ Hinch. I mean, AJ Hinch is there. Like there's, there's really no way anyone on that team, Mike Fires is a, a starting pitcher. If he knew exactly what was going on, there's no excuse for Justin Verlander you know, Garrett Cole, whoever, like any of those guys, and certainly not the coaching staff. Um, no. and, it, and it also implicated Alex Cora, who was A.J. Hinch's bench coach at the time, Carlos Beltran, who was on the team, and famously, you know, supposedly identified that, you know, Yu Darvish was tipping his pitches, which, you know, helped them beat the snot out of Yu Darvish in the World Series and made Yu Darvish kind of a pariah for two years. Like, the effects of all this this stuff are just really insidious and, and far-reaching and um you know i mean the, the mets just the mets just hired carlos beltran to be their manager like what happens if he needs to be punished and you know should the red sox be punished by having alex cora you know suspended i i mean these are these are really tough issues and it's it's really hard to have any faith in rob manfred and the league to do right by almost anything at this point um so yeah i don't, I don't really know what to expect well, know. especially since Manfred's out here saying, oh, it's limited to the Astros. And frankly, I think that's bullshit. Yeah. And I, I think I think it's very much a system that, like, instead of teams calling it out, if a team was seeing the Astros get away with it, they would have been like, hmm, how can we do that same thing? Yeah, it's against um, because the, culture the Astros of the game. are getting away with it. Yeah, and it's against the culture of the game to, to do what Mike Fires did generally. Like, players are taught, you know, from their, the time they were young. Like, you know, if you guys can push an edge and take it, take it, and never, you know, never rat on your teammates and never, you know, never create any situations. Even if you've got, like, a dude who, you know, has a domestic violence incident in his background, like, you, you know, you, you, can't, you don't want to be the one making the waves. Like, you're always taught to be a good teammate to treat everybody well and, and to try to help everybody. And yep. uh, you find yourself, you know, used in that situation by trying to do those things and, and looking very, very bad to the outside world. So I don't know. It's a mess. It really is. I mean, it's, uh, I'm uh, I, just reading like the defenses of it online from Astros fans is exhausting. Uh, like, I think it would, I mean, they already had their, their tackles up about the whole, uh, the whole sports illustrated thing. Yep. But like the bad mm. Astros fans, let's let's say Jason Marbach yeah. out there. Shout out to you, buddy. Yeah. I know it's oh, hard. I mean, there's some. I know <laughs> yeah. plenty of very good Astros fans, but there's the ones out there that are like Houston fan three oh five six eight twelve eight hundred who's been around since two weeks ago, who are you know just yeah. being turds. Yeah, and just attacking people. I, yeah. I think at a certain point you have to be able to say, look, I like this team and like what the history of this team means to me and the things that this team has brought into my life but that doesn't necessarily mean I have to agree with what this iteration of the team has done and I don't approve of it and I think it it besmirches the name and the history and and the great things that the team has done yeah because I think I think you can very easily say that of most things that like you can I mean as a terrible example and I'm not not necessarily singling out anybody specifically, but you can say, I love my country, but I don't like what this particular politician is doing to it. And it's a very similar 
kind of stance, right? And I think any, I think that's a fairly nonpartisan take. I think anybody can agree with that. Yeah, everybody's with one been president in that, or another, right? Yeah, like you've been in a situation where you didn't like what the country was doing, but it didn't mean you hated your country. It just meant you exactly. hated the and policy. I think, yeah. I think that's the way we have to look at teams too. And like, you can say, man, I love the tigers, but holy crap, do I hate the things that this front office is doing to them. Yep. And you can say, I love the Astros, but I think you can also be fair and say, I really don't approve. And I really don't approve of the way that this front office has behaved like they're, you know, spoiled children that aren't meant to be held accountable for anything. Yep. And, I, and I think that fans of a team have to learn to divorce themselves that way and be able to say like this isn't this isn't representative of the team that I love. Yep. And I think that's what Astros fans really need to to look at and say the things that we've seen from this team this year are not how I want my team to be remembered. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of loyalty, you know, goes goes too far. It has to be earned and it has to be consistently earned to be able to just ignore, you know, anything that goes on. Like there's no way to earn that. I mean, it's just it's yeah. It just all appears to have gone too far, and it doesn't really appear to be any question that this is exactly what happened. Um, we've seen a couple articles come out where you know people are going back and looking at the home road splits of the Astros, and obviously this pertains to the Astros hitters. Like I don't think there's any reason to think that this had anything to do with their pitching performance necessarily on that team, but yeah, some of the some of the hitters, if you if you isolate a few people out, they're you know it does seem like they swung you know they swung less at pitches outside of the zone. They swung and missed less. It's not like their numbers were radically different. But if you're using that technique only in specific spots where, you know, there's a runner on second base and you want to score or, you know, a place where you need a hit. Like if you're smart, you don't do this like every single pitch, like first inning, you know, whatever you you use it in big games. You you pull it out in big situations where, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it's not so abnormal that all of a sudden there's a couple bangs from from up the runway um, inside inside a dugout. Like, you know, it just sounds like someone's dragging something around up there and you might not think very much of it. Whereas, you know, as um, former White Sox and, and numerous other organizations, pitcher Danny Farquhar kind of pointed out this one at bat that was um, that was kind of used as a, as a good example where he kept going to his changeup and he was throwing really good changeups and they kept spoiling him. And every time, as soon as, the, you know, they he agreed to the sign that the changeup had been put down, all of a sudden you hear, you know, boom, boom, up, boom, the, boom, yeah. up the dugout, and these guys are on it. They know, you know, all, all a major league hitter needs to know is is hard or soft, and it's going to help them a huge degree. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I keep thinking of John Capoello, the um, former Braves GM who got banned from the sport for life um, two years ago because of, you know, irregularities and, and scheming in how they were um, acquiring international free agents. Mm-hmm. They were like... They were circumventing the rules to funnel money in different ways. And I mean, all that is pretty gross, but, you know, apart from the fact that the Astros were obviously trying to win and weren't throwing games like the, you know, the Black Sox scandal of 1919, I mean, this is the integrity of the game right here where, you know, they they were cheating in a way that, you know, is clearly defined as impermissible. It's not like, oh, a little bit of pine tar, or oh, you know, that guy's hand is a little sticky. You know, these guys picked up someone else's signs or even, you know, there's a guy in center field with binoculars, you know, who, you know, holds up a hand for fastball and has his hand down. You know, those kind of things are probably still going to go on. Um, You know, Chris Sale's binoculars were, 
paranoia, <laughs> but but uh, but rightly so because I'm sure that kind of stuff does go on, and especially when you're in someone else's stadium where they could have, you know, underneath you know underneath the the, the stands or anywhere they could have a little booth wedged in there, some little snake person in there with a with binoculars and some kind of blinking light system. Like it just doesn't take that much. It's just so hard. And the other thing about this that I haven't heard anybody talk about, and I keep bringing it up on on Twitter because I want to hear from the prospect community, like the Baseball America and Prospectus people, the yeah. Fangrass guys, are they, I mean, is this is this potentially going on throughout the Astros minor league system? Are all their prospects overvalued? Because there's no one paying attention to these kind of things at minor league games. You know, it's No, a, you could get away with murder at a yeah. minor league game. Yep. I mean, you know, in a certain sense, you'd have to be sneakier because there's less people around overall. But, but I mean, who's, gonna, no who's really going to notice somebody in the outfield filming? Yeah, yeah. A minor Nobody. League, minor league team on the road doesn't have like, you know, 40 staffers where they can have people like stalking the stands and, and recording people the way the Astros did with the Yankees last year to make sure that there's no cheating going on. Um, it'd be very yeah. easy to cheat in the minor leagues and, you know, make your prospects look like they were better hitters than they are and then deal those guys away. Um, and we're never going to be able to prove it just because say Daz Cameron or Jake Rogers or, you know, whoever, whoever else the Astros have traded away. If some of these guys don't work out, there's not going to be any way to, to, to prove that kind of thing retro- retroactively, but using that stuff in the minor leagues seems like mm-hmm. where, where you could really do some damage. Like the Tigers could make a whole bunch of their mediocre, you know, college infielders look like legitimate hitters and trade those guys away and no one would be, you know, any the wiser probably. Hint, it's hint. true. Hint, hint, Tigers, I'm just saying. (laughs) Desperate. So, yeah. So there's scandal number one, but it it just goes on and on. We could could keep going because we could talk about um, the minor league realignment plans. Let's uh, let's just touch on that because it's a gigantic topic, but... um, About how they want to cut 42 teams from the minor league systems? Yep. Including two Tigers franchises? Sure! Super fun. Yeah, sounds great, doesn't it? Less baseball Mm -hmm. for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you know what I think when I think what would make baseball better is less of it. Yeah. Absence makes the the heart grow fonder, right? Isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, and it's like, and their excuses, and Manfred's excuses for it are excuses. It's like, well, some of the parks aren't really up to par. Yeah, okay, cool. Well, I mean, you're in contract with these stadiums, so tell them that they have to improve their grounds or they're going to lose that contract. Um, what is it? Um, minor league players don't make enough money. That's my favorite. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you know what would fix that? Reassigning like the amount of money that one mid-level player in MLB gets paid. There is no reason. We've discussed this endlessly. There is no reason they cannot be playing these, paying these players a living wage. Yep. None whatsoever. It's not an excuse. Like yeah. you can't use that as your an excuse because any one of the billionaire owners of these teams sneezes out more money in a day than it would take to pay these players a living wage. Yeah, I think we figured it out that it would it would literally only cost three or four million um, per team. You know, yeah. over over the course of a year, it's it's not uh, you know, but by baseball standards, that's not a particularly substantial sum of money. And yeah, it, it could just be easily handled. I mean, I think, you know, when, to all of us whose experience is out in the actual workforce, you know, when your company is going through a hard time and like you're struggling, they're struggling, they're losing money, you, you hate downsizing, but you could actually, 
you can understand like yeah i mean this this sucks we're you know we're gonna fight it we're gonna do whatever yeah if it was like profits are down turnout is down but it's not more than a million people attended minor league games last year like i mean not just a million total more than a million than the year previously yep they Went actually had a great last year. Yeah, they actually had a great year. And 2018 was the only year in the last decade where attendance declined in the minor leagues. And it bounced yeah. right back in a huge way this year. Um, yeah. And then and, one of the other excuses, what uh, some of the teams had moved. So it made travel difficult. Wah. Yeah. Um, you just change your scheduling to allow for better travel time. Or you can still Shocking. shuffle. I mean, I still, I'm, I'm totally fine with, with realigning the leagues it. a little. Yeah, you can do like, some reorganizing because it, it doesn't make sense sometimes, and that that's a point that I think is, you know, a fair one. But it's, but it, eliminating forty two without teams, eliminating forty two yeah, teams just doesn't really have anything, to, yeah, to do with it. And to argue that you can't, you can't pay these guys, and so we're going to fire half of them. You know, so the, and oh, and give that, that money the to one. these guys. You know, like that. That was the other one that it's it's unrealistic yeah, to profit. expect the guys at the lower levels will ever make it to the major leagues. Yeah, how is that ever? Well, and how has that ever been different? Like, you know, where teams. But like, it's also bullshit. Well, I don't know. I like, like not all of them are going to make it, but some of them will. Like, there's been great that like great considerations of players like the guys picked in the 31st round of the draft that are now like platinum glove winning center fielders yeah i know kevin kermeyer's out there sure you know <laughs> and, and there are some others you know like there, there are guys who were late bloomers and, and people didn't see um I, I mean i i'm not i'm not gonna fight too hard the idea that every franchise could probably cut their 50 worst prospects and never miss a beat like maybe Maybe one of those guys, you know, would have turned out to be like a, a solid starting player and surprised everyone, um, and won't go play independent ball because there's no there's no money in that like at all. Like you know that, that's that's another part of this where they were kind of suggesting that well we're going to set up these dream leagues for these 42 stadiums that don't have a team now. Maybe we can, maybe we can work something out where these people can play and not get paid apparently, or I don't really know. It. it was super vague. It was more of just like a, you know, a thing to cast off. I mean, I'm not opposed to the idea that th- there don't need to be this many teams. Like there didn't used to be this many teams. It's never been set in stone that, you know, that this is some natural force where there has to be this many teams. But the fact that they're, th- but the whole point of this is that they're doing it in one year um, until the next negotiation or the next contract has to be signed. Um, It's tied into like all these other negotiations that are going on as far as what teams want from the players union. And they're just, they're just mounting this colossal full court press crying poor. And year after year, the profits are going up year after year. We've, we've watched as they, you know, spent millions of dollars lobbying to get the save America's pastime act you know, through Congress so that they could strip minor league players of their labor protections. They did that just like two years ago. Now they're still acting like, oh, well, we can't, well, we can't pay these players more. I mean, that's just madness. So now we've got to, you know, throw 1,500 people out of a job, Um, not to mention the coaches, umpires, concession people, like on and on and on that goes along with it. And the other huge point to this is that a lot of these places, and this is where Erie makes a perfect example UPMC Park is in the middle of a, I think, a $16 million renovation that's been going on um, since last off season, and it should be done and ready in time for the 2020 season. 
And the New York Times obtained a list of 42 teams that the, you know, the league had, and, you know, it's an early proposal. I'm sure these things aren't set in stone yet, but that these teams were going to be, you know, trimmed out and the Connecticut Tigers were one, but UPMC Park and the Seawolves were one. Yeah. And I mean, this is a, you know, a community that just invested $16 million in a local business you know, to renovate the stadium, yeah, do all this stuff, and you know, they might just be left holding the bag. You know, there's they've got like twelve million dollars in in state you know development grant money that they put into this, and the league can just drop them at any time. You know, these contracts are like one or two years long at most. Um, they're all going to expire in September at the end of the next minor league season, and they can just walk away and just leave. You know, Erie and a whole bunch of other towns across the country just completely screwed over on that front, um, and you know. Any sports fan already knows that, you know, the, the whole thing is a scheme to begin with as far as stadiums go and how all these, you know, very, very rich owners will cons- consistently pressure local communities to pay for their stadium and then they just get to occupy it and collect all the profits. And, uh, th- I mean, this is just another example of it, but it's even worse because the minor league clubs don't really have any leverage. Like at the major league level, at least like there's a players union that's really strong and could shut down the whole sport. Um, they're really, I mean, I don't really see what there is that anybody can do about this, um, short of, you know, the, the MLBPA suddenly taking an interest in like hiring someone better than Tony Clark and like merging with yeah. minor league players. Like this is the time if there was ever going to be unity between both sides there and getting them all together in one professional players union, this would be the time to do it. Cause, um, they're getting squeezed from, from all sides. And yeah, this proposal is just infuriated everybody that we know who is involved <laughs> in the minor leagues. Uh, I did talk to one GM of a minor league team and he was at least like somewhat optimistic that this was just kind of a, you know, a first big gambit by the league to sort of, you know, push everything, you know, in this direction and, and, you know, would, would eventually make some concessions and kind of balance this out. And he also said that he just didn't see any way that they could reorganize the leagues and all, you know, and just, this entire proposal is just so vast and overwhelming that there's just no way he thought they could be able to do this within like a couple years time. Um, and maybe, maybe he's right about that. And this may well all be, you know, negotiating tactics, but man, it did not go down. Well, <laughs> I hate it. I hate it a lot. Yeah. And what was, uh, what did Rob Manfred come out and say? What was that oh. statement? I gotta, I gotta find this. Oh no. Yeah. Award. You have to get the exact quote because it's basically, Oh, oh, it's so bad. You need the actual, the actual quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking, 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 looking. I mean, basically what he said was that, you know, Major League Baseball was unwilling to consider any economic concessions at all. Um, Manfred said there was not going to be a deal where we pay you in economics in order to get labor peace. And maybe the late Marvin Miller's financial system doesn't work anymore, which is literally a dare to the union to go on strike and and shut down baseball um that's there's really no other way to read that you know we're not we're not going to give you any concessions in order to get labor peace which is like yeah. hey bring it bro yeah it's like this I guy's think gotta go I put it on Twitter, he he took bargaining out of collective bargaining yeah which is insanity and then I made the point that I'm like, I would not be shocked if the MLBPA took agreement out of the ML of the CBA. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, it's so stupid to go into a negotiation and be like, we're not going to negotiate. Yeah. 
It like, I mean, it really feels like Rob Manfred is like the leading edge of like a private equity firm looking to take over Major League Baseball, you know, strip it for its, you know, attendant parts and just sell them off and, and to hell with the game and anything that goes along with it. Any, you know, any consequences, you know, be damned. Um, and, you know, that's kind of been his modus operandi since he took over, but it, it's just gotten worse and worse um, in recent years. And I and that you know that save America's pastime thing. I, I can remember so clearly a whole ton of people being, you know, upset at, at journalists and baseball writers and and acting as though like, oh, you guys are make it too big of a deal out of this. You know, this is just a one time thing. You know, they just want to make sure you know that that they only have to play the you know the players in season and not have to pay them any overtime. And we were all like, yeah, which sucks to begin with. But acting as though like these things are individual is exactly how they get you. It's all, you know, it's all a part of a plan. Like now people are like, well, you know, why should, you know, why should they pay all these players if they don't think that, you know, they're ever going to make the major leagues. And it's just, you know, the, 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 the creep, the slippery slope here where mm-hmm. people forget how many, how far they've already pushed things. Um, and, you know, it's so when, when you they start ask accepting for another something and then suddenly you have to start accepting everything. Yep. And at a certain point, there's, there's going to be a breaking point, I would assume. And the, you know this is going to come to a head and the players are going to have to decide whether or not they want to shut the game down um, or not. And if they do, it'll be the league's fault. But as we saw in the, the draft or the, uh, the strike in the, in the nineties, like fans just don't care. Fans are just like, well, whatever. I, I hate both of you. <laughs> I just want baseball to be back. And, uh, and, that, and that's it. So I don't know. Those things are really hard to, to work out. And I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen here, but it's, uh, it's feeling very, very scary. Like I didn't really think there was that much of a, of a potential for a strike again. But I mean, when that, when I saw that statement, I was like, Oh, you were very wrong, Brandon. Cause apparently that's yeah. exactly what Rob Manford wants to do is to try to break the Ooh. union. Welcome um, to strike town USA. It's happening. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. So it'd be fun to be talking about, you know, the game itself and like, you know, uh, how fun the game is and how much we love it and you know the antics and amazing feats the players get up to but as usual uh, major league baseball itself refuses to allow the game to be the focus and you know and their rampant greed and corruption throughout the game has to continually be brought to the fore by them themselves and they don't seem to see this as a uh, as a flaw in their in their plans so i don't know where things are going to go yeah it's going to be interesting to watch i think i was like you where i was very much not convinced that we would see a strike um but it seems like we're getting closer to that with every passing month yep yep i mean i know some of this is bluster um but it's hard to take it anything less than deadly serious the way things have gone the past four or five years you know this it's a negotiating tactic yeah but like if they could just put all this through unilaterally they they pretty obviously would do all of it and and not give a damn about the you know the uh the effects on whatever towns on the players on the game itself on the future of the game um this all just feels like very short term you know we're going to squeeze every last bit of juice out of this that we can and leave the leave the husk to die and dry in the sun I think it's what we can say for sure is that Rob Manfred hates baseball. I mean, he really doesn't seem to ever enjoy baseball. <laughs> like, like his entire his entire tenure has been like everything is wrong, and I want to change everything, and I hate it. 
yeah, it's like, nothing about this is good. Let's just change the sport entirely. And it's like, why are you here? Yeah, we're, we need to, you know, take 42 teams. And of course, all those teams are basically going to come out of the Midwest, you know, like that's, you know, we're just going to gut, you know, base professional baseball from the entire heartland of the country because that'll be great. <sighs> yeah, I'm not. Uh, Isn't it I'm fun happy. to be a baseball fan? I know, I know. I miss the I miss the simpler times. <laughs> I agree. Ah, that that early sabermetric era was so fun. It really really hooked me in, brought me into the game again, and sustained me until uh, the last couple of years. But yeah, some some of this has just gotten to be pretty odious. So I don't know. I don't know where things are going to go. It's exhausting. Yep, and I think that's enough. Like scandal and and re- reprehensible behavior for one night. <laughs> We could talk about, I, w- I do want to get a conversation going at some point about Meredith Will's articles about the baseball construction and the juice ball and, uh, and Rob Arthur from 538's research on this, because it is a pretty interesting subject, but now I'm, I'm just too depressed. So <laughs> I agree. Yeah, let's just maybe wrap it up and be sad. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. All right. We will, uh, we will get back at you next week. Um, we will probably have quite a few um, Rule 5 draft candidates um, that we've written up at that point on the site. Um, Jay Markle is hard at work on those things already, so we should have some tips and some ideas for who the Tigers might want to target. So you can look forward to that. Um, Ashley, uh, you have a YouTube video that just came out today. Am I correct? Or no, yesterday? Uh, sure not. Oh, I I'm thought so that was a new one. Scheduled. There uh, was one on Tuesday um, all about the injured list and the restricted lists. Oh, um, yeah. I made the terrible life choice last time I recorded of only recording episodes that were like 30 minutes long. (laughs) Um, And I have not been able to get them edited (laughs) midweek. So, but there should be a new episode on Saturday because those are quick and easy to do. Um, So there will be a lingo lesson on Saturday and then back to the regular schedule next week. All right. That sounds pretty good. So, yep. Keep an eye out for uh, all of our content coming up at blessyouboys.com. Follow Ashley on Twitter at 90 Feet From Home. You can follow me on um, Twitter at Fiscadoro74. I just did a, a, a huge podcast kind of all about the the, um, the whole Tiger system. Um, it's called the Painting Quarters Podcast. And they do they do like an interview with someone from who kind of represents each team all off season long to kind of give you like a whole big overview. So if you guys are listening to me rant about the entire state of the, the Tigers organization, you can find that one as well. And we will be back at you next week. Ashley, have a good night. You too, man. We'll see you next week. All right. Bye-bye.